So we're talking about concertos today, and we have a guest soloist with us. This is my dog, who is joining us in the office today. Welcome to the Open Notes podcast with the Fort Collins Symphony. We might have a new name soon. We don't know. I am Jeremy. I'm the Digital Communications Director. Oh, boy. That's Daisy. (laughs) That's Daisy. And I'm Kate. I'm the Community Engagement and Education Director, also known as the Seed. The Seed. And today we are talking about concertos. What is a concerto? If you go to an orchestra concert or see what's on a concert, you're probably going to see the word concerto, just like you're probably going to see the word symphony. So we're going to talk about concertos today. And I mean, really basic, a concerto is just a piece with a soloist. With a soloist, yeah. Accompanied by an orchestra. I mean, some of the most famous ones are like the Tchaikovsky Piano Concerto, which I always think sounds like the Beach Boys. Four Seasons is not called a concerto, but it's it's technically but a concerto. Is, yeah. So most concerts will have a concerto or something that serves as a concerto, and again, that's really just a soloist playing a difficult solo part with the orchestra backing them up. Yeah. And that can be like violin, piano, cello, flute, really any instrument can mm-hmm. play on a concerto. Usually it's violin and piano. And a concerto can be long or short, depending on when it was written and which composer. We talked about this in the last episode on symphonies. I mean, some concertos are 10 minutes and some concertos are like a whole hour. Yeah. Depending on when it was written and who wrote it. I think the most important thing with the, with a concerto is the fact that it's really showcasing the ability of the instrument that is soloing. It was meant to demonstrate, you know, the artistic talent of different musicians. Usually one individual. Yes. Usually, usually they were written for this one person. Correct. Yeah. A lot of if you if you want to nerd out a little bit more about symphonic music it's fun to look at who the concerto was written for Mm -hmm. and when and and even listen you know if there's recordings available listen to that person performing it for those that are written more current day so yeah like we we just did a mozart horn concerto Mm -hmm. here at the symphony and mozart wrote that for a very specific horn player who was really good at this one technique yeah so and i think tchaikovsky's violin concerto was written for this one violinist and he said it was way too hard yeah so kind of fun stuff like that yeah so so i think we talked about this you know when you're coming to a symphony concert how to choose and so some people want to come because of a specific soloist or an instrument that's being featured so, I mean, as far as what to expect, it's it's a nice opportunity to hear usually a guest artist, someone mm-hmm. that isn't a standard musician in the ensemble. It's someone that's maybe coming from a different orchestra or a university or someone that has made a career out of being a soloist yeah, and a guest artist. Yeah, really hard pieces. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They've, they've really mastered their craft in that way. So... So typically, yeah, there'll be a guest guest artist. It sometimes can be an orchestra member that's featured, which is really nice. It's a nice way to get to know some of the fantastic talent in your ensemble. Yeah, and you um, usually don't get to see your orchestra members playing yeah. solos like this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
or sometimes it can be a young artist winner in in the orchestral field there's a lot a lot of competitions that and young artist competitions that happen across the world it's actually a global thing yeah. on some levels and so Typically, those individuals who win those competitions will then go on to be a soloist with a lot of orchestras across across the U.S., across Europe. I mean, kind of depends on who hosted the competition and what the winnings are. So, but that's another example of who might be in town. It, the, I mean, we kind of already said this, but the music is really challenging. I mean, again, because it was meant, it, that's it. the whole point, yeah. right? It was meant to showcase and to push those, those individuals to their limits, you know, to really teach and show people, mm-hmm. like, the talent and ability. And a lot of concertos were written by the composer to be played by the composer. Mm, sure. Like, like Bach and Beethoven and like especially people like Liszt and Paganini oh, and sure. yeah, were pianists. going around writing these pieces so yeah. that they could show off how good they how are. How good they are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not the only reason. Yeah. But like, like Liszt's or, or Paganini, like they were performers. They were yeah. like virtuoso performers. So Paganini's violin concertos were written so that he could tour around and say like, look how good I am at the violin. Yeah. And... I'm the only one who can play these because they're so, so freaking hard. difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and a lot of times it was because there was a lack of repertoire. Yeah. And so yeah. there wasn't there wasn't music for these individuals to play. And so they kind of took it upon themselves to push the boundaries, if you will, mm-hmm. as far as the playing ability and skill and creating mm-hmm. repertoire, you know, so that these instruments could advance and continue and musicians could be challenged. Yeah, especially for the pieces that are for less usual instruments. Mm-hmm. I think that's true. What comes to mind is, like, even today, if you have a soloist Let's say it's a trombone player mm-hmm. who's kind of played all the trombone pieces there. <laughs> so maybe they'll, they'll work with a composer and make a new trombone concerto. Yeah. Like that's something that still happens today. And that's mm-hmm. something that's happened throughout all of history. Yeah. I would say that in talking about concerto form, just to give our listeners a little bit of insight as to what they might hear, we talked about this with symphonies in our last podcast, but as opposed to the symphony, concertos are typically three movements. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, to to pull it back a little bit, movements are, think of them as songs on an album. So Yeah, they're usually standalone. Like you can go to Spotify and listen to just one. You don't have to listen to all three. Yeah, exactly. Similar to symphonies, the first movement is typically a sonata form, which is usually the longest. Sometimes has what we call a cadenza somewhere towards the end of it. That's an opportunity for the soloist to just kind of like take it away, like a famous guitar like solo in rock music. Yeah, you know? they're, they're already showing off. Yeah. Now they're just going to show off even more. Yeah. Like the, the orchestra takes a break for a couple minutes yeah. and the soloist just goes crazy. Exactly, exactly. So that's usually your first movement. The second movement is always usually slow, lyrical to show off the beauty, you know, of mm-hmm. the instrument. Yeah. Usually, 
you know, some extended technique or just something that really shows the range, I guess. Maybe the range is probably the better word. Of and, the... and the expression more than the mm. technical ability yes. sometimes. Yeah. So that's that's the one that's going to be a lot more song-like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then the third is usually, it's the finale, it's the end. <laughs> so that's coming back to some of that technical, hard ability, usually throwing in some lyrical. I mean, finales are always hard because yeah. you kind of get in the best of all of it thrown at you at once. Yeah, the same thing with the symphony. It's kind of a grab bag. The last movement yeah. can really be anything. It's yeah. just not going to be slow, right. probably. Yeah. <laughs> Except for a couple really specific examples. Exactly. exactly. Those are the exception. Yeah. Talking about concertos, there are a couple, just kind of two things to note, and that is pieces that are called concerto that are a little bit different. So usually oh, a concerto yeah, is for, for one person, but there are some examples of concertos for more than one person. Yeah. There's a double concerto by Brahms for... Oh, there's the dog again. There's our soloist <laughs> of the day. Cadenza by Daisy. Yes. So there's a double concerto by Brahms for violin and cello accompanied by orchestra, or Beethoven has a triple concerto. There are also pieces called a concerto grosso, or like the Brandenburg concertos by Bach. You may see those. Those are similar. They're kind of the precursor, but they're for a group of soloists instead right. of just one. Yeah. So Bach's Brandenburg concertos will be for like two flutes, clarinet, violin, and trumpet soloist, or something like that. Right. So those are similar, but you won't see those as much on a symphony concert because they're smaller and they're kind of the, again, they're the precursor before symphonies and concertos. Exactly. You might also see a piece called Concerto for Orchestra. These are exclusively to the 20th century, yeah. and they're really just big, really difficult pieces. Like, mm -hmm. they're so hard that the composer said, this is a concerto for a soloist, and the soloist is everybody on stage. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the Bartok Concerto for Orchestra is the probably the most famous, but these are not nearly as common. You just might see it here and there. Here and there, yeah. Yeah. So another example of kind of a unofficial concerto, if you will, are these pieces that, again, are kind of sprinkled throughout the history of concertos, but they're not really called that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if we can't confuse you now, we're about <laughs> to maybe confuse you a bit more. But there is, by Morowitz, he did the memorial to Martin Luther King, which is a newer piece, again, has cello, solo, but we don't call it a concerto. It doesn't really follow your standard concerto form in a sense, but it still would, but it still is a concerto. <laughs> yeah, I think it, I'd like to say that it functions as a concerto. Like in a concert, it'll take that concerto spot. Spot, sure, yeah. And no, it still has a soloist who mm -hmm. will be a bigger name who's brought in, but it's just not called concerto. So if you see a symphony program and it doesn't say blank concerto, but it still has like a solo a name under it, then you can still think of it like a concerto. Right. It's, it's just gonna be different. Yeah, I mean, other examples might be Vivaldi Four Seasons. What's another one? Like the Tchaikovsky Rococo Variations. Is, oh, is that, yeah. Like, that's, kind of, that's kind of a cello concerto. Yeah. Or the Beethoven Choral Fantasy is kind of a piano. I mean, that's a totally different beast because that also has a choir. And it's Again, like I a, told you we're going to keep confusing. Yeah. <laughs> there Not are always exceptions. Yeah. Um, or the Bernstein Serenade after Plato's Symposium is basically a violin concerto without being called a violin concerto. Yeah. But just to be aware that there are some, there are those exceptions. Yeah. And, and on, in all 
fairness, I mean, it's it's a good opportunity for, for two reasons. First of all, to program a concerto, it's a nice break sometimes for the orchestra, because yeah. typically the orchestra parts aren't as hard. Well, typically. Um, <laughs> <laughs> typically, again, always exception. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, musicians, it's a on these programs, sometimes they're long, especially depending on the symphony on the second half of the program, depending on what that is. So it's a nice break for them. But also it's a good, like we said earlier, it's a really nice way to hear how a specific instrument sounds. So again, when you're thinking about coming to a symphony for the first or a hundredth time, it's sometimes fun to choose which concert you want to go to based off of the instrument or soloist that might be on that program. Yeah, because that's going to be really different and really obvious. Like, you may not know the difference between this symphony and this symphony, but if you see violin concerto versus flute concerto, yeah. there's going to be two very different pieces mm-hmm. with really different sounds because that soloist is so critical to to the piece. Right, exactly. Yeah. I know we, we mentioned this in our last podcast, but the symphony, as in the form symphony, is typically on the second half of the program. So concertos are usually on the first half. They usually don't open the program. There's usually something smaller, maybe an overture kind of a piece, which... Maybe that's another... Yeah, we'll, we'll have a podcast Another about podcast about how to open a concert. But usually this piece is either second or third on the program. Typically right before we take our intermission is when this is normally programmed. And then the soloist might be in the lobby signing posters or something. Yeah, meet and greet at intermission yeah. or after the concert. Or they may play an encore when they're done. They'll play some, mm-hmm. some other fun solo Yeah, piece. some unaccompanied solo piece. Gosh, more podcast ideas. Not always, though. Yeah, yeah. no, saw, that's true. I saw Joshua Bell in St. Louis a couple years ago, and his intermission line was... I mean, it, he was still there, like at the end of the symphony yeah, signing. Yeah, it was that. incredible. Yeah, and he also didn't he didn't play an encore, and we were like, why didn't he play an encore? And we asked we asked the conductor afterwards, and he was like, yo, he's just so tired yeah. after playing the Sibelius <laughs> Violin Concerto. Like he can't play. Yeah, he can't play. It's so yeah, exhausting. all of your it is, and that yeah. I mean, we'll have to talk about that at some point because yeah. that's a good topic. But fun examples. That we can share with people? Yeah, I just, I mean, like we said earlier, the concerto world has, it's, it's all based on soloists. Mm-hmm. Like, symphonies were usually written just because. Yeah. But concertos were almost always written for an individual in mind. So like I said earlier, Tchaikovsky wrote his violin concerto for this, for this guy, and the guy said, no, this is impossible, nobody can play this. <laughs> And, you know, back then it was really hard. Yeah. And it's still really Really hard, hard, but now it's kind of standard. Like, people have figured out how to play it. Yeah. Like, Mozart wrote a concerto for harp and flute, but he really didn't like either of those instruments. Yeah. We don't, you know, he never said, I don't like the harp, but he never wrote for the harp again. No. (laughs) And he didn't say, I don't like the flute, but he didn't really write any other flute concertos. Whereas he wrote five violin concertos and four horn concertos and however many piano concertos, 20-something. Yeah. Part of that's because he played piano, and he was just writing for himself. Yeah. (laughs) Again, like we said earlier, Yeah. trying to play so they could show off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then, you know, concertos are still being written. The John Adams Saxophone Concerto won won a Grammy a couple years ago. Yeah. There are a lot of 
composers still writing these pieces like we said earlier mm -hmm. and then there are some composers that have taken it in a really you know weird direction like we said composers the farther you get through time the more wacky things get yeah and like I've seen on YouTube I can't remember the composer but it's a, a piece for florist and orchestra where the orchestra plays and the improvisatory florist puts together a flower a thing. bouquet yeah. yeah and not just a bouquet like Oh, art piece? It's wow. Really cool. And then, you know, people have written like for turntables and orchestra. Yes, I do love that. Um, yeah. And then very recently, Andy Akio wrote a piece for ping pong players and orchestra. So there are two Brilliant. people playing ping pong and that's like the solo part and they're like hitting ping pong balls against a bass drum and it's it's just so wacky it's so cool Would but you? it's really it's a like it's a great piece yeah but you know he took that concerto idea and just kind of made it wacky yeah but it's really good music yeah exactly well and i think again when we talk about the concerto it's all about the fun part about it is that it's so showy, you know, mm -hmm. it's so, it's really just to show off, you know, what that player can do, what the instrument can do, or, you know, just throwing in some fun things and just showing mm -hmm. how it doesn't have to be an instrumentalist. You can just be a professional ping pong player and then yeah. go play with the <laughs> symphony. Yeah, concertos usually won't dig into the depths of the soul quite like symphonies can. Yeah. You know, they definitely can. Like, concertos can be really affecting and really emotional. And I'm thinking, again, of, like, the Sibelius Violin Concerto. Mm -hmm. It's really heavy. Yeah. Or the Elgar Cello oh, Concerto. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, that is... That is yeah. a piece. Yeah, uh, that is a piece. I think after... after was it after 9-11... Yo-Yo Ma was going to play with the New York Phil or something. Yeah. And he was supposed to play the Haydn Cello Concerto, which is really, really f like light and easy. Light, and he yeah. said, no, we no. have to play the Elgar Cello Concerto. And when you go listen, I mean, it, that's, that's a heavy piece. four movements <laughs> it doesn't have three <laughs> so it's a little bit different um so kate what's what's one or two of your favorite concertos besides the elgar cello concerto <laughs> um something that, a concerto that i feel like might not be realized that is a concerto and people definitely know would be gershwin's rhapsody in blue oh yeah i think that again a non-concerto concerto mm -hmm. <laughs> Um, definitely a solo piano. Yes, definitely solo piano. Showcases other parts of the orchestra as well. But I feel like, and, you know, having a great, you know, known American composer, mm -hmm. Gershwin, um, I would say that's probably one of my favorites as far as, like, standard concertos go.
I do like both of Mozart's flute concertos, being a flutist. <laughs> They're both a ton of fun to play and are both very, very standard in the flute repertoire. So I would say either one of them are, are really just... Again, I think I mentioned this in the uh, in our symphony podcast, comparing it to food. They're very, they're both very dessert-like yeah. pieces. Yeah. What about you? So my recently my favorite concerto is the Clara Schumann piano concerto. Okay. Robert Schumann's piano concerto. Robert is is Clara's husband, mm-hmm. and he's he's more prominent. He's much more often performed, and his piano concerto was written after hers. And it's very standard, it's a very standard orchestral piece. But Claire's Piano Concerto was written much earlier, and I like it so much more. I think it is not too long. I think Robert's a little bit too long. Mm -hmm. Um, But romantic concertos tend to be a little bit too long because they were about the soloist showing off. Yes, yes. So Claire's Piano Concerto is, is... tuneful and it's I think it's the perfect length I think it's a really good introduction because it's much shorter than other pieces and it doesn't have unnecessary repeats just so the soloist can show off for longer yeah so Clara Schumann's piano concerto is kind of my my sleeper like this is a really good piece to introduce people to Opposite of Mozart's that I really <laughs> love, and this is definitely not a go listen to this for the first time if you've never listened to classical music before. Good um, disclaimer is the Violin Concerto by Alban Berg. Um, ah. Berg was a he was when you think of the word contemporary, the sound of this concerto is what is what you might think of, but it it's it's kind of chaotic and it is hard to understand, but it has these moments of absolute beauty yeah if you can get past the fact that it's really dissonant yeah so that's the opposite of my mozart that if mozart is dessert berg is like sushi i was gonna say vegetables but i don't like vegetables. i'm not sure that i like either of those because it's not even that it's like good for you like that's you should true. listen to this to grow it's like Oh, maybe it's if you go to a really, really expensive restaurant and you get this one really weird thing and you're not sure if you like it or not, but mm. the chef put a lot of time and effort into it. So, you know, it's good, but you don't like it. Like, it's kind of like that. Like, you don't have to like it. But yeah. I'm trying to so think it's hard, it's hard a good to explain. example, but yeah. I think that I think people will understand that. I think people understand what you're trying or, to say. Or it's like, I don't know, what's a food? It's like maybe durian. Like most people don't like during and fruit yeah but a couple people absolutely love it and that's what that that's what that violin concerto is that is very specific i think that was a good disclaimer too for everyone yeah so don't go listen to the bear i mean maybe go listen to it but yeah don't start (laughs) don't expect it to sound like pretty like mozart like you probably i didn't like it the first couple times yeah but as i spent more time with it and that's what you got to do with classical music sometimes is you you got to spend more time with it and then one day it'll be like oh my god this is the best piece i've ever heard yeah like and you can read about the history there's a whole history and and behind it where he was composing it It has all this symbology but really i just think it's got these gorgeous moments so it's it's something you have to work on it's like calamari it's a taste you have to develop but then once you do like then you've got something you can really enjoy
I think that I think we've kind of covered everything as far as concertos go from mm -hmm. a basic level. How we always want to hear from you all about what is your favorite concerto? What's your favorite instrument? What's something that you might want to hear from mm -hmm. Fort Collins Symphony? That yeah. way, we'd love to hear that. So how how should people get a hold of us? Yeah, so people can find us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Fort Collins Symphony. You can also find us at fcsymphony.org, and we'll have links for everything in the show notes. So if you're listening on your podcast player or on the desktop, there will be links to contact us. You can send us an email. And one other thing I wanted to mention before we leave is that if there's an instrument that you really like, just go to Google and type instrument concerto, and you'll be able to explore this whole world. Like, even if it's something weird. Harmonica like harmonica. I'm yeah, sure there is one. Yeah, oh, yeah, totally. I was going to say accordion. Accordion. There definitely is accordion. I bet there's, like, bagpipes, too. Like, tin, penny whistle. Oh, Any definitely. instrument you can think of, if yeah. you type that instrument and the concerto into Google, you're going to find some really cool music. Yeah. So just go, just go crazy. Awesome. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next time. I always say see you next time in the recording, but it doesn't make sense. We'll hear you next time. Yeah. You will hear us next time. Yeah. Okay, bye. Thanks for joining.